Hey everyone, it's CJ. It is February 23rd. Just wanted to let everybody know that um, we recorded this on February 22nd in the afternoon. So uh, obviously we would have addressed uh, Tiger Woods and his car accident had, um, had we recorded uh, later on, even though you're going to hear this after uh, the accident happened. Obviously thoughts and prayers are with Tiger, his family, um, and anybody involved. Um, without further ado, I just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up that we recorded on Monday. Um, and so other than that, uh, enjoy uh, the third episode of the Show Us the Data podcast. Analytics are, quote, the management of structured historical data and then the application of that predictive analytic model and utilizing that data and the use of those information systems to inform decision makers and enable them to help their organizations gain a competitive advantage on the field of play. That sounds like it would work. Here's my thing with you guys that are anti-analytics. You sound dumb. Not to get pissed off, but that, that whole thing about looking at a piece of paper and having that tell you how to call a football game is a freaking joke, in my opinion. That's why I watch tape. It's one thing to hire the kid out of the Ivy League school who's the numbers wonk. It's another thing to trust them. A lot of times they have the numbers, and the 30-year NFL coach says, yeah, that's good, but I'm punting on fourth and three. First of all, I've always believed analytics was crap. All these guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics, they have one thing in common. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get to the game. I think it's the more information, the better. It's filtering through that. You guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense, like we're selling jeans, like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. It's a problem you think we need to explain ourselves. Don't to anyone. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? I do. Welcome back to the Show Us the Data podcast, a sports podcast featuring Greg Harvey and CJ Olson. Greg, I got to run something by you. It feels a little wordy. How do you feel about the name? I mean, I think we can just say show us the data and they know we're talking about sports once, once they start listening, right? That's so. a good point. All right. So we'll, we'll just shorten it to show us the data. All right. So what's up and welcome back to the show us the data podcast. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, CJ Olson, joined by my co-host, Greg Harvey. Greg, how we doing? Good. We're doing well. Um, this week is midterms for me. We're getting prepped for that, but today we're going to get into more some sports Good stuff. All right, so let's start with the NFL. Uh, everybody's favorite league. Well, that's not true. That's not everybody's favorite league. But on average, it's America's favorite league. So we'll go ahead and talk about the NFL a little bit. Really, the one thing, uh, do you have anything other than Carson Wentz? I feel like that's really, like, the big thing is that's, Carson Wentz that's has moved big, to Indianapolis. Big move this week. All right, so I'm going to jump in right here, and I'm going to give you some stat head sports reference uh, facts. So all credit goes to there for where I got the information from. Uh, they, they request that we give them their due if we use their information. And we love using stat heads, so we want to make sure we oh, yeah. do that. So Carson Wentz has been in the league for five years, correct? He's only played in That's more right. than 13 games twice in 2016, his rookie season, and 2019. So he led the league in time sacked last season despite only playing a total of 12 games, which is alarming. Uh, he was sacked 50 times. That's, what, 4.25 times per game or 4.16 times per game? Uh, the Eagles were sacked more. It's 4.16 because it's four and a six. Don't worry about it. Uh, Eagles QBs were sacked more in either half than the Colts QBs were sacked all last season. Uh, that, that, when I saw that stat, I. It's crazy, wow. right? I mean, that's, that is such a shift for him. And I, you know, I, as, as you go more into your stats, I know that's something you're going to be talking about, but it's not particularly close. Difference. Yeah, it's not particularly close either. The Colts quarterbacks. And, like, let's be real. Philip Rivers is a statue, right? Like, calling him a statue might be a disservice to statues. And Jacoby Brissett's not exactly mobile either. So that's 21 sacks for guys that don't evade sacks very well. I mean, Philip Rivers historically has done a good job at uh, being able to throw while he's in the grasp to get the ball out. But what I'm saying is they're not scramblers. Now, Eagles quarterbacks in the halves 33 and 32 – so that's 65 sacks in the entire season. That's three times as many sacks as the Colts quarterbacks took all year. So the least amount of times in a season that uh, Wentz was sacked is 28. 
Um, and that was when Wentz started 13 games in 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. Right. Some more Colts and Eagles stats. The Colts, uh, the Colts ranked eighth in PFF offensive line pass blocking efficiency, while the Eagles ranked 29th. Now, what's going to be interesting, and as a Colts fan, really the only thing I care about is can he not get sacked? I mean, obviously that's why I've talked so much about it. But uh, a trend that we've noticed in analytics is is people that believe in analytics have almost started to not blame, but allocate responsibility of sacks on quarterbacks. You know, it's now people are starting to say that sacks are more quarterback stat than an offensive line stat. You know, it's not right. 100% offensive line, 0% QB. Now it might be 75-25 quarterback offensive line. So it is going to be interesting to see, you know, this is the unstoppable force of Carson Wentz being sacked and the immovable object of the Colts offensive line. That's the only thing I'm going to be watching as a Colts fan in 2021. And I've got some more stuff. I'm going to let you talk. But one thing uh, not data related that I saw today, Michael Pittman came out and said, I talked with Carson Wentz. He's not getting right. number 11. I, I am that. keeping number 11. <laughs> and the, the headline makes it seem like Pittman said, hey, pal, why don't you go somewhere where you're actually wanted? Like, you're not going to take number 11 from me. But if you read the article, it's more of like a, I talked to him. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm attached to number 11. And he said, all right, fine, I'll switch. It's not that big of a deal to me. It, it just kind of seemed like Carson Wentz called to see what the number situation was going to be. Pittman was more attached to 11. And Wentz said, all right, fine. I was going to switch anyways. Like, yeah. What are you going to do? Right. Just a number, whereas Pittman was like, this number means something to me. So you have some stuff on once you want to share? Teams, it's always like the big thing of like, oh, is he going to gift you something like to try and get your number, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. But I mean, Pittman's going to be what, like his number one target probably. So depends on if they re-sign. I feel like, right. But I feel like, Either way, that's that's not a guy you want to really have a bad relationship with. Um, exactly. Starting Indy. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were talking about sacks. I think, like overall in his career, it's been bad, but just considerably worse in 2020. I mean, the sacks per, sack percentage each season: 2016, 5.2%, 2017, 7%, 2018, 7.2%, 2019, 5.7%. Right. So the last five. Four seasons, it's been around between five and seven. 2020, 10.3%. You know, and again, that's considerably because of the Eagles O line issues, you know, fighting injuries. But, and then again, I mean, like we said in the beginning, uh, Wentz is now an indie where Reich is, and that's who the offensive uh, coordinator was in Philly for Wentz's great season in 2017. Finished second in pass touchdowns, fourth in passer rating, first in TD percentage. Obviously, he goes down with that injury. Foles becomes the hero. And then, you know, I, I just wonder how Eagles fans feel about all this. I think they're about ready to move on from Carson Wentz. I think the Carson Wentz experience for them, I think they're about done. I think they saw what he can be under Coach Frank Reich. And then he realized, yeah, you know what? Uh, Reich is now in Indianapolis, so he's not going to be doing anything for us in Philadelphia. So, I'm ready to move on. Now, granted, Philadelphia is notoriously as a fan base, just a very uh, volatile fan base, I'll say. When when you're great, That's they'll love you forever. forever. <laughs> when 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 they're great or when you're great, they'll love you forever. When you start to struggle, they want you out of town. Um, Doug Peterson got the boot a couple years after winning a Super Bowl with uh, a bunch of injuries ravaging his team. Jalen Hurts did not do well enough in the three games. There are a bunch of Eagles fans that want them to find a way to get a quarterback in the top That's 10 whether it be trade up from six to ensure that they get fields or wilson or whether it be taking one if they're available at six or just taking trey lance altogether trying to get on another north dakota state quarterback i'm not sure but i don't i don't want to speak for philadelphia i feel like that's how you get punched in the mouth next time you go to philadelphia if they know you as the guy that speaks for philadelphia without knowing oh yeah I've only been to Philadelphia a couple of times, even though I grew up, you know, an hour away from there. I only went there a couple of times. So I, I'm definitely not in tune with the city enough to say definitively how they feel about Wentz. I feel like the, the overall fan base in Philly, like not only for football, but just in general, are pretty rowdy and, you know. 
get get very defensive very easily um from what from what i my friends who are from philly who root for like the eagles and phillies and such it's something kind of relationship um but yeah um just some fun facts about frank reich i don't know if you know these but um he was the backup qb for the bills in 1992 and then the starting qb goes down and he starts for the bills in the playoffs and he leads the bills to the largest comeback in nfl history against the oilers in the playoffs it was 32 points and not only that but then you go back to college and he was the backup quarterback for maryland and in 1984 he replaces the starter and leads maryland back from a first half first half deficit of 31 to 0 and eventually wins 42 40 over miami and that record stood until 2006 so he is just the comeback king, not only in college, but in the NFL in both times where as a backup QB. So I think, I think he might have the title of best backup quarterback in football history. So. Yeah. And the 1992 bills, I mean, that's not, you know, that team was no slouch. I mean, didn't they make the super bowl? Wasn't that like a Jim Kelly led team that lost in the super bowl? Yeah. That was, that was, that was a Jim Kelly led team. Um, yeah. I mean, he wasn't just any backup. He was a backup to a, to Hall of Famer, that's it's got to say something, you know. Think about the legendary backups, the Matt Castles, the the Jim Sorgies, all the all the fellows that backed up the greats. Can't be understated uh, how good of a job yeah, they did right. holding the clipboard and occasionally coming on in relief. Hey, and this guy, this guy did it, did it, did it well. So just interesting that I found. So some more, just to in case you didn't get enough Carson Wentz uh, getting sacked facts. I got some more sack facts for you here. So three quarter or six quarterbacks have been sacked 170 or more times from 2016 to 2020. Now he's been sacked a total of 179 times in 68 games, but the six quarterbacks, uh, Wilson, Ryan Stafford, Wentz, Watson, and cousins Um, of those six, Wentz has the lowest completion percentage, second lowest passing touchdowns per game, most interceptions per game, lowest touchdown percent, second highest interception percentage, lowest passer rating, lowest yards per pass, lowest adjusted uh, pass yards per attempt, lowest adjusted net pass yards per attempt, lowest yards per completion, and you know, lowest yards per game. So basically, of the- Are there any stats in his favor? Like, um, he only had one not, pick not six. A flip. He only had one pick six. Everybody else had one or one. Okay. So he was tied for first in least pick sixes. Wow. So he throws interceptions, but he gets back. But the Eagles have his back. They they play defense pretty quick. Maybe because they're used to it. I don't know. So basically what I'm saying is there's a lot of things that show that the sacks are not the only part of Wentz that that are a problem. If, if right. You know. I mean, it's 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 not good is, is the way I'd put it. So that has me skeptical as a Colts fan. But for what we gave up, I'm not too, bu- I'm not too bummed out because we gave up a third and a conditional second that can become a first. I'm guessing – if like we make the playoffs and he makes a pro, like there's going to be certain things. Like if he plays a certain amount of games, which it was was pretty sure it was play time. If I, if I remember reading something correctly. Okay. So then in all likelihood, if it's not working out, we'll just bench him. So that way we like, if it's clear that like, we're not going to make the playoffs. So we're going to give up a second instead of a first, like just bring in Chandler Harnish off the street. Like if we need to really, I don't know why I assume Chandler Harnish won't have a job, but, you know, I just picked right. a backup quarterback. You know, insert backup quarterback. Cam Newton still needs a job. Maybe he comes in as a backup. Jameis Winston needs a job. He can come in as a backup. You know, if the Saints showed us anything, you can still make the divisional round uh, with uh, – whatchamacallit? You can still make the divisional round with multiple starting QBs on your roster. Great. But speaking of starting QBs, 15 quarterbacks have started at least 60 games from 2016 to 2020. That is 12 starts per season over the last five seasons. So that shows like a decent amount of durability. So that would be Phillip Rivers, uh, Wilson, Ryan, Cousins, Carr, Brady, Stafford, Rogers, Breeze, Goff, Prescott, Wentz, Dalton, Roethlisberger, Newton. So for the most part, the names you need to know here, I'm just letting you know now, are Roethlisberger or are Dalton and Newton. So of those 15 that I listed, Wentz has a higher completion percentage than only Andy Dalton and Cam Newton, which as we saw these past couple of years, it's not really saying much. They played a bunch of games, 
but a lot of their performance is skewed heavier to the 2016 2017 of that five-year stretch only has a higher touchdown percentage than Andy Dalton Cam Newton uh, Derek Carr and Jared Goff Uh, only has a higher total passing yards passing yards per game and passing and passer rating than Andy Dalton and Cam Newton he has the second worst sack percentage only better than Russell Wilson he has the worst yards per pass uh, and he has the third worst adjusted yards per pass and third worst adjusted net yards per pass only ahead of once again Dalton and Newton and he's last in yards per completion um, and just to point out that means he's behind Drew Brees who only throws slants now for the last three years and Ben Roethlisberger who looks like he's kind of and Philip Rivers who they both look like they're hucking around medicine balls these days so what I'm saying is he runs he doesn't pick up many yards on completions and he doesn't complete many passes so what does he do as a thrower is the question I ask that's all I have on Carson Wentz sounds like he's not very good that's what it sounds like that's my that's my conclusion I have concerns but we've seen subpar quarterbacks go other places and then turn out to be really good we've seen like you know cross-port comparisons everyone's favorite thing to do Victor Oladipo was not looking good on the Magic. He was looking like not a bust as the two overall pick, but when you take somebody second overall, you expect them to be doing better than Oladipo was doing with the Magic. Sure. He goes to the Pacers. Now he's an all-star. Although now isn't he on the Rockets? Wasn't he part of that deal? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, yeah. With the with Wall, like he ended up getting packaged to the Rockets. So yeah. NBA is always like that. <laughs> so Oladipo, I believe, is in Houston now, but he's an all-star either way, or he was before his injuries. So sometimes that's just all you need is Carson Wentz just needs to go. And there were also questions of like, oh, he's always getting hurt. He's played like the 12th most. He started the 12th most games at quarterback over the last five years. Like he's durable. It's just he has a lot of little injuries throughout the season. Like he'll he'll miss a week here or there. So as a Colts fan, I'm really hoping we go out and pick up Cam Newton or we pick up a a Jameis is potentially going to be available. Just somebody somebody to – to platoon as a backup in the event that Carson Wentz is down for, you know, a week or two, but I'm not worried about him missing a full month. Yeah. I mean, especially with the, with the better O-line or better projected O-line, I think there's less worry about injury and just more worry about, you know, well, my concern, my concern isn't with the O-line for Philly. My concern is with the fact that it, it was a small sample size that we saw Hertz start in the three games. But Hertz had three and a half seconds when he was in the pocket. He had that's plenty of time. Carson Wentz had something like two and a half seconds. I think Carson Wentz is just a little quick to to abandon ship. That's my concern. Now, granted, again, three games, very small sample. I'm not trying to say that, you know, that means that's what it is, but it's it's it should be on the minds of the Colts offensive uh coordinator. I don't know who that is now. I know that our former offensive coordinator ended up going to Philadelphia. So what a, yeah, what a small world, right? But either way, that's all I have on Wentz. If you have anything else, um, nope. I uh, I wish him the best of luck as a Giants fan. You know, wasn't wasn't too happy about him on the Eagles, but best of luck in Indy. So yeah, well, I wish him <laughs> the best of luck as well, since you know I'm gonna have to watch him sling the pigskin around in whichever number he ends up choosing. That's right. So through nineteen. So, yeah, exactly. So next up, uh, the NBA has been going full steam ahead. Since we last talked, uh, the Celtics are still 500. Um, they blew a 24-point lead yesterday to the Pelicans. Uh, that was depressing to watch. That's, that's embarrassing, yeah. It was bad, yeah. No, they spent, like, the last minute of the second quarter up through, like, the first four minutes of the fourth quarter with, like, at least a 90% chance to win, according to ESPN's win probability. So that's bad. Um, it was embarrassing, but they haven't gone 500 or worse since 2014, 2015. So there's, they've been good ever since, you know, Isaiah Thomas, then Isaiah Thomas, they have to back up the Brinks trucks, then Isaiah Thomas uh, hurts his hip and is out indefinitely, and then Kyrie Irving, and then Kyrie Irving saying, you know, if you'll have me back, I'd love to be here, and then getting Kemba Walker, you know, throughout the turbulent times we've had with our different point guards. Uh, we haven't fallen below 500 right. and now it's looking like we might so that's cause for concern yeah i don't know uh the knicks you know as i say i'm not i'm not an avid knicks fan but 
they're in a playoff spot even mm-hmm. with even with a losing record i'm pretty sure so yes well props to them. for them props the to them. is not particularly deep yeah that's this is true i think honestly i mean we're gonna get to it but whoever whoever comes out of the west in the in the finals is gonna win no doubt in my mind um the west is just stocked like stocked of great teams right now and i don't see the east making a run yeah no i don't i don't think there's any teams i mean maybe brooklyn if they can gel together so far initial reports you know harden seems happy um so that's exciting um I don't think the only, I think then, the only yeah, other I mean, teams like with like the 76ers are built to be good, but they just like never have been, if that makes sense. Like they should be better than they are. Yeah. Like the last four years, yeah. they should have been making it further than they are. Yeah. But then again, the Nets, the Nets have been heating up and they don't even, they haven't even played with the big three yet, like consistently. So right. it'll definitely be interesting to see how, how that progresses once, once they're all healthy and once they're all playing. Um, well, the only other thing with the, the Celtics I do want to mention is I'm on Peyton Pritchard watch. He is – honestly, I, you don't know this, but I have been a defender of Marcus Smart. Like, I not a defender of Marcus Smart. I've been team – like, I've been not the president of the Marcus Smart Club because there are some Marcus Smart dedicated accounts, but I'm, like – I'm, like, on the board, okay? Like, I very much so am – because you have something in your in your Twitter header about Marcus Smart. Yeah, my right? Twitter header is uh, a picture from NBC Sports Boston. I don't know if it's photoshopped or if it's actually real, but it uh, it's Marcus Smart at a press conference, and it says Marcus Smart like on the Chiron, and instead of like his stat line, it just says loved and trusted by all, and it's true. I Marcus Smart could be if if I end up having a cordial relationship with Marcus Smart, he can be <laughs> the godfather of my children. I'll put that out there right now. Um, it, it also hope, helps that he has hope he's of, listening to the podcast right yeah i mean it helps that he has the type of generational wealth that can take care of uh, a child in the way that a godfather might need to but either way um i uh pay, with peyton pritchard i would be okay with them getting rid of marcus smart and that's a big deal because like when it was like marcus smart and two first for anthony davis for three years i was like no chance you're not getting rid of marcus smart i don't care who you marcus, get in return marcus smart forever it could be Marcus Smart and LeBron straight up. I'm not taking it. And like, part of me knows that like, I'm not being serious, but also like that would be harder than any, like even when Tatum was a rookie and, and Brown was in a second year and it was like Jalen and Jason, or yeah, it was, it was Brown and Tatum for AD. I was like, I was, I also didn't like that because I was high on Tatum coming out of the draft, but like I was more comfortable with Brown and Tatum being shipped out than Smart and a couple of picks. Either way, I'm glad they didn't trade them, but they need to start winning games is what needs to happen. But to talk about Peyton Pritchard. So I did some, some sleuthing on Stathead, and I, I have a, a, a correction issue. So I said last week all of his stats that nobody had ever had a season that, that good. Somebody probably did. I did not know that on Stathead, when you're entering a percentage, you have to go point and then the first number. I thought it was like if it was 48%, I just entered 48. But it's 0.48, which doesn't make sense according to the interface stat head, <laughs> but list of rookies with at least 21.1 minutes, 45.6% from the field, 38.1% from three, 2.3 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 0.6 steals, 7.5 points per game, and less than or equal to 1.3 turnovers per game. It's Peyton Pritchard this year, and it's Trent Tucker from 1982 to 1983 while with the Knicks. Only time a rookie ever had that stat line. Shows all around solid point guard play. All right. What you're looking for out of a out of like a sixth or seventh like rotation player. That's what you're looking for, and that's what Peyton Pritchard has provided. I'm I'm glad I'm glad the Celtics have something going the way this season for you. And I'm glad they have at least something going for him. Also, Jason Tatum is playing incredible ISO ball. That's not helping the team win. So that's that's something. Yeah, crazy enough, actually, the because the Toronto Raptors are playing in Tampa this year, so I've, I've had a chance to watch their game. But actually, uh, the last game I went to is when Toronto uh, Toronto played Boston. It was it must have been like a month or month or two ago now at this point. But um, yeah, I remember Tatum Tatum and Brown both went off, and it was just like, yeah, this looks this looks right. I don't remember what Pritchard did. <laughs> next next time I'll be off. Yeah, I know. Next time, next time I go and see the Celtics, I'll know, I'll know who to look for. So, do you have anything on the NBA you want to share? Yeah, I mean, 
I guess I haven't been an avid NBA fan, I'll be honest. But one thing that's really surprised me when I'm just checking the standings the other day is the Jazz on on top of the uh, Western, not only the, the top of the Western Conference, the, the best team in the NBA right now record-wise. Um, and I was just, I was trying to find why. Um, so big things that I, that I saw, um, they have experience. They have the third highest average age on, on a team in the NBA, only behind the Lakers and the Clippers. They're currently the best rebounding team in the NBA. They grabbed 25.7% of available offensive rebound opportunities, which is second best in the league. So they're, they're getting rebounds. Um, they have the best point differential per game in the NBA. Um, but the, the, something interesting I find is they're only the 12th best shooting team in the NBA, yet they score the fourth point, fourth most points in the league, right? So then you got to think, okay, they must be good behind the arc because that's what's contributing to all their points. So I look at that. Right now, they have 40% of their field goal attempts are threes, which is the highest in the NBA. The league average is 39%. So they're shooting threes at a ridiculous clip right now, and they're also making them. Um, they have the most three-point made per game and the second most three-point attempts per game. It's like what we were talking about last week, I think, when we were talking about how it's like all the game is now like all right below the basket and behind the arc, like nothing in the middle. And the Jazz are like a perfect representation of that um, in, in, in game action. Um, yeah, so just compared to last year, um, their top seven players in minutes played are the exact same players from last year for this year. So mm -hmm. not many changes to their roster, but again, 23.1 more three points made and 19.3 three-point attempts. The crazy thing is they actually led the league in three-point percentage last year as well. And then just some more little tidbits about the Jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and Mike Conley all averaging their best three-point made, three-point attempt, and three-point percentage this season. Um, and then their defense is also just ridiculously good this year. Um, they allow the third-fewest points in the NBA, second-lowest field goal percentage, and then again, it's it's all behind the arc for them. Defensively behind the arc, they allow the fewest made three-pointers per game and the second fewest attempts. Um, and again, they they beat beat the defenses on the boards. Uh, opponents have um, their fifth best on rebound defense and second best opponent effective field goal percentage. I know I'm going on and on about the Jazz, but it's just kind of ridiculous how well they're doing right now. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to comment anything about that. What about no, what I just, said? It's just, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago, and they talked about how, like, the Jazz really are not getting their due. Like, they're just never, they've never been a sexy team, you know? They're just, like, nobody ever right. thinks, like, oh, who's a real contender? The Utah Jazz. But, like, they definitely are. Them and the Nuggets are the two teams for me that are, like, they're never, part of it is they're built around big men. Um and now, granted, Donovan Mitchell is, I think, a little bit more exciting than Jamal Murray, um, even though I, you know, I like Jamal Murray. It's just when I think about exciting scores, he doesn't come to mind, even though he has been. So I don't know what it is, like, where the, why there's a disconnect between who's actually appealing as far as players and teams go and who actually is. Like, if you watch the Pelicans, like, they're not that exciting, but the highlights are really great. Whereas if you watch right, like, right, right, right. the Nuggets, like – they're putting together really good games of basketball. Um, so I would definitely agree that like, it's, they've definitely gone, they're underrated. They've definitely, they've definitely gone under the radar. What's up? Didn't, didn't they play last year in the, in the postseason against each other? They might have. Right? Yeah, they did. They did. Cause I, they, Mitchell, I Mitchell and Murray. Yeah. They went right? back and forth. Yeah. They both had like 50 point games in the same series, right? Yeah. Or something. Yeah, crazy. yeah. I always, I always go back and forth on them because I can never like. Maybe it's just because the colors are somewhat similar, and they both are like they both have big men, and they both have shooting guards it's, that it's like. Fair. It's fair. Kind of take over games, but they've got they've got nice names, you know, the Jazz, the Nuggets, you know, memorable, yeah. right? Yeah, but I feel like I always mix them up. Hmm. They're also in like places that no one, you know, Utah and Denver. It's like okay, people don't like, particularly like basketball there. I mean, yeah, but just another 
crazy thing, and I don't think this has like a real uh, effect on their game, but they're only like one of like nine or ten teams that's allowed fans in their stadium this year. The Jazz, so mm. you know they have they have that going for them. Utah, um, Utah, but um, the last they've made the NBA Finals twice in '96, '97, and '97, '98. But we know what happens in the '90s, right? That's Jordan's decade. That's Jordan's decade. They lost to the Bulls both both years and haven't been since. So, but maybe this is the year. You know, we'll we'll maybe. continue. We'll continue to watch. the Bulls. The Bulls are definitely not stopping them this year. That much I know from what I <laughs> from what I watch in basketball. The Bulls, Bulls are not like the Jordan era anymore. But that's that's all I have for uh, NBA. One of my favorite things. It's the equivalent of seeing who's going to hit 400 in baseball, except it happens in today's NBA. Who's going to go 50, 40, 90? For those unaware, it's the equivalent of 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. And in the NBA's history, since the three-point line was introduced back in, I want to say, 1978. Does that sound right? Um, eight NBA players have done it, and one WNBA right. player. Uh, so Steve Nash has done it four times, just a model of consistency when it comes to shooting. Granted, a lot of the times what foils players is the free throws, getting to 90% shooting on free throws. We'll talk about some players that already have the 50 and the 40, but they don't have the 90 uh, currently this year. Um, Shaquille. But Steve Nash, yeah, that's why Shaq never went 50-40-90. <laughs> also, he didn't take 82 threes in the season. Uh, so Steve Nash has done it four yeah. times. Larry Bird did it twice. Uh, Mark Price did it once. Reggie Miller did it once. Dirk, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Malcolm Brogdon, and Elena Del Don. They have all done it once. So the requirements, because there are minimums, you can't shoot, you know, one of each. <laughs> you can't be Shaq. Exactly. So requirements are a minimum of 300 field goals, 82 threes, and 125 free throws. Now, it's a shorter season. I don't know if they're going to change that for the sake of the record book. Um, I don't think this is high in their priority list, though, with all the COVID stuff going on. So we're going to operate as if they're not going to change it when I talk about, like, who's on track and what and whatnot. So if the season ended today, nobody would qualify. Nobody has the minimums yet through 20-some-odd games, which is to be expected. Um, right. But the people that are on track um, are going to hit the minimums for all of them and are currently at 50, 40, 90. So we have Kyrie. Carl Anthony Towns and Jeremy Lamb. Those are the three that are all. And honestly, of the three, the person who's closest, who's like the most secure right now is probably Towns. I mean, Kyrie has taken the most shots, but he has 90.1 free throw and 40.9 threes. And Kyrie will just go cold for a couple nights and he'll keep shooting. Um, That's That's fair. Which like, you want that out of your superstar. You don't want them to be afraid of taking the shot, but like also a couple of two for 14 games are going to add up in the stat sheet from three and that's going to cause them to go down to 38. That's why we always see like Harden shoot 36% on the season or even Curry shoot 38 or 39% on the season. Though he mm-hmm. usually shoots in the low forties. It's usually for him. It's the field goals. Cause he doesn't take a lot of mid ranges that like he can make, you know, he's taking a lot of contested layups and threes, but right. the people that are on the 50, 40, 90 that they have, they've hit the thresholds, but they need a lot more shots per game. If Tomas Sadoransky, he's uh, way short on free throws. He looks like he's going to hit it on field goals and threes. Um, but he has the highest of between the four names we brought up so far. He has the highest, uh, he has the highest field goal percentage. So he'll be okay. He's just got to shoot more or he's got to get to the line more. And then Trey Jones is 50, 100, 100. He's taken, I believe nine free throws or something like that. And he's taken one or two threes. So he's, uh, way behind, but he did hey, get the 50 49. So I needed to include him. Uh, then a few guys who are short. Um, so the guys that are on track to hit the minimums but are short on field goal percentage we have Cameron Payne, Steph Curry, and Seth Curry. Um, Steph Curry, uh, has 48.6% from the field, so he just needs to have a few good nights to get back up, uh, from two just to get back up from that field goal percentage number. Also, Cameron Payne, coming out of the draft when he was drafted a couple years ago, I was like, this guy's a bum. He's older than Devin Booker as a rookie when Devin Booker was already on his second contract. Like, what are you doing? The NBA's going younger, and the Suns drafted a 23-year-old or a 22-year-old. Devin Booker was just turning 22. I was like, come on. But uh, 
but he's having a great season. He's He's been exactly what the Suns want him to be, and that's a sharp shooter for Chris Paul to dish the ball off to. Um, then guys that are behind on free throw percentage but are on track everywhere else and look like they're going to get the minimum uh, requirements. Chris Middleton, 89.5%. Paul George, 89.4%. Tobias Harris, 89.4%. Joe Ingles, 88.9%. Nikola Jokic, 87.2%. Kevin Durant, 869 And Zach Levine, 862 So if those guys can just get their – their free throws down. We've already seen Kevin Durant shoot 50, 40, 90 once before. Joe Ingles was made for 50, 40, 90 trackers. I mean, that guy's just lights out from the field. He just needs to shoot free throws a little bit better, and uh, and he'll end up on that list. And there were a few other ones that are on track to do it and are, like, really close in each of them, like Brandon Ingram is 47% from the field, 39.4% from three, and 88.2% from free throw line. He hasn't – he doesn't meet any of the thresholds, but he's less than – He's like, he's, he's like 3% away for each of them. Um, like Kawhi is a percent and a half away for three and one and a half for free throws. Uh, Joel Embiid is close. He needs uh, about 5% on the free throws. That's, that's probably a little bit out of range for him. Um, and then James Harden is 48.3, 38.8 and 88. So that's another one where he, you know, has a few, you know, five for seven nights from three and a couple of, you know, nine for 10 nights from the free throw line. Couple right. twelve for twelves. Trust me, James Harden gets to the free throw line. It's just about making them. So, for sure, for sure. So that's all I want to say about the fifty forty ninety club. I love the fifty forty ninety club. Malcolm Brogdon is the most recent inductee. Well, Elena Del Don is, uh, but in the NBA, Malcolm Brogdon's the most recent inductee into the exclusive club. So, fun stuff. Yeah, a very elite club, right? How many how many players have done it? Uh, eight. History? Eight NBA, one WNBA, NBA. Um, and it's been done a total of that would be 12, 13 times I want to say. Right, so pretty pretty elusive. So, and I don't well, believe uh, that two people have done it in the same season. Fun fact for you there. Hmm. I could be wrong on that, but I don't believe that's happened. So, well, you have to keep tabs on that for the rest of the season. I know that's why I'm doing it. Is that exactly. way it's easy weekly content? You're welcome. That's right. Listeners about the content. who want it, they know. Nobody's uh, ever gone 50-40-90 in the playoffs, though, by the way, just as a fun fact. Nash went 50-47, or he went like 47-40-90 once. He was close. But Interesting. No cigar. Interesting. So is that, uh, is that enough NBA talk for you? I guess now we can have, head over to the college side of the sport, right? Is oh, that, yeah. Is let's, that right? let's get after it. So I've been keeping track uh, by conference uh, teams that are ranked. Uh, new rankings came out earlier today. Big 12 still has six teams ranked. That means they're still the highest, both in quantity and percent at 60%. And Oklahoma State is 26th. So they are knocking on the door, becoming the 17. That'd be the 70% of the conference is ranked. That is incredible. Crazy. Um, the Big 10 still second most uh, with ranked teams at five. Um, couple teams shuffled in, couple teams shuffled out. Uh, they, they still have the second highest percent of ranked teams at 41.66. The SEC has four ranked teams, which is kind of surprising given that they're not historically a basketball conference, except for, you know, Kentucky. Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky's not even one of those not ranked even. teams. <laughs> one of those teams, that's crazy. Um, and then something I found interesting when we talk about the Big Ten and the Big 12, 70% of the top 10 is either Big Ten or Big 12. Four of the top 10 are Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, Iowa. And three of the Big 12 are top 10, Baylor, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. So it's interesting. Maybe maybe one of those seven will win the tournament this year. Maybe. I mean, just to bring up the, the bet that we have that you have to take. I'll, I'll cut it down from a month because you're very online. And also, you've, like, built, like, your own thing. Like, I don't want to, like, hinder your ability to tweet. So we'll just make it uh, one week. Just one week if – if any of the teams that aren't Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Houston, Villanova, or Iowa win, you won't tweet for one week. That's that's fair. I can I can deal with that. Plus plus one of those six are gonna win, so the bet's not even gonna matter. Exactly. So that's the spirit. <laughs> so, anyways, that's um, I I have more stuff on Ken Palm, but I don't want to you know just monologue the entire time. Do you have anything on college basketball you want to share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, well, I'm gonna go fill up my water. You uh. You share. Yeah, so like uh, like CJ was talking about, I got I got six teams on the line here um, for the NCAA tournament, 
and in, in, in our bet of ours. Um, one of those teams is Michigan. And Michigan was playing Ohio State yesterday, um, yesterday being Sunday. And Michigan won that 92-87. But this was the first time that uh, Michigan and Ohio State both matched up in the top five and only the third time that they both were in the top ten. And they've had 185 matchups in history. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and then, again, we just talk about Gonzaga and Baylor, you know, both continuing to be undefeated this season. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the tournament for Baylor. Uh, but two teams haven't entered the NCAA tournament uh, undefeated in the same season since Penn and Marquette did it in 1971. So that's a little hmm. little tidbit for you. But uh, That's a tidbit. Yeah, Penn and Marquette. You don't really hear those names for basketball. I mean, Marquette a little bit um, since they're in the Big East, right? So Yeah, and that's Penn, where Dwayne Wade went. That's right. But Penn is an Ivy League, so it's kind of like – not irrelevant, but almost irrelevant, I feel like, in, in, in current times. Yeah, I, I mean, know, Yale, was, Yale was a 12 seed a couple of years ago with Mie Oni. They were pretty good, but I don't even think they ended up upsetting LSU, who was the fifth seed. But right. it was it's a like, popular like, upset pick because there were some like 28 and 2 or something like that. So everybody thought, oh, this is, this is the 12-5 because, you know, there's always they look, they look at They look at the record. <laughs> but, yeah, and then um, I was just looking at, you know, the teams that I have on, on this bet, Houston and Iowa won on Sunday, but then Houston Houston also lost this week to Wichita. So, but yeah, I'm that's pretty true. Sure. Houston's down to a three seed. There was a while where they were looking good on Kempom. You should have waited until the tournament started to get the top six. Hey, you know, I was being aggressive and aggressive I was, but all my teams are still ranked, right? You know, that. Yeah, they're all still ranked. And let me pull up Kempom right right. Quick, I usually already have everything I need written down. They they were they were top six what three yeah, weeks ago have, when we recorded our first episode. Yeah, so currently you have teams one, two, three, four, six, and where's Villanova eleven. So you have one, two, three, four, six, and eleven. You I could feel, have I five, but you That's turned down Illinois. I, I know Illinois is gonna win the tournament. I feel like I should almost pick them in my bracket. Because it's going to happen. <laughs> it's karma. It's karma for not including them. Exactly. That's what it is. Uh, so while, while we're talking about Ken Palm, um, I'll let you go back to, you know, if you have anything else you want to share in a minute. But while we're talking about Ken Palm, I do want to just rip the Band-Aid off. We are not getting a new worst team in college basketball history. I've Boo. crunched the numbers. It just it doesn't look likely. Boo. <laughs> for, for new listeners, the worst team all time, according to Ken Palm, is Grambling State from 2013 with a Ken Palm rating of negative 46.1. Currently, Mississippi Valley State is negative 41.6, so the numbers are reversed. Uh, but they only have six games left. It's just not looking – we didn't – for those of us that were on team, we won a new worst team of all time. We didn't lose. We just ran out of time. Uh, so that's just how that ha- – that's just how that goes sometimes, you know. It looked like looked like not, we're not a full season, you know. They'll they'll always be. I mean, they're the second worst team of all time. They're on track for the second worst team of all time. They're uh, the worst team since that Grambling State team, and they're the first team to be at negative forty Ken Palm ranking it, uh, or worse since that Grambling State team. And keep in mind, they've done that in eighteen games. So, on a per capita basis they are per game basis they have been the worst team of all time it's just unfortunate right. they won a game and but like, well, I, we can I, move I can't on imagine be valley state i can't imagine playing for a team like that like whether it's college basketball or just any any team where you just consistently get destroyed game after game after game after game like you know I, mean, I, mean? I grew up in a small town i played on some pretty bad teams growing up that's fair. I mean, you're a kid, but here you're like, you're going to college and you're like, it's supposed to be this very tough experience. And then imagine being a freshman on that team. It's like, okay, I like this school, right? You know, it's kind of like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So I guess uh, instead of talking about negative things, let's, uh, let's end my Ken Palm stats on a happier note. Hence why I started with Mississippi Valley State. So Gonzaga 
is I don't believe they separated themselves anymore from Baylor. Baylor, uh, Michigan closed the gap a little bit between them and Baylor. Um, and then the combination of Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, Houston, Ohio State, they're all between 27.34 and 30.61, while Baylor's at 34.93. So they're all within, you know, five or six points. So that's it's something. It's not nothing. Because um, there was a time where we were talking about Gonzaga and Baylor as like double-digit favorites over everybody except for each other. So right. I think that's important to note. Iowa, when we last talked, was 108th defensively. They must have been playing well or teams that – they played in the past, played better on offense, so the algorithm or played worse on offense, so the or no, played better on offense, so the algorithm corrected itself. They're now up to seventy fourth. Right, they just... uh, that's good, and they're still number one on offense, so things are looking up for the Hawkeyes. Um, Ohio State, another team with a big disparity between offense and defense. Which that Michigan game, I I well, I didn't watch it, but like I listened to it and I had it on the side while I was doing something else, so I watched uh, bits and pieces, but. They really can score, Ohio State. They they're going to be dangerous in the tournament, but they're also like low key. They could be out. Like they could lose like a two seven matchup, right? Like it's that's the way it goes be, sometimes. It right? could be yeah. That's well, that's the way it goes. But also for these offensive teams, that's the way it goes. It's you you run into an Ivy League team that plays really good defense, and you're not shooting well enough to overcome good defense, and your defense isn't good enough to overcome the fact that you're not playing decent offense against a good defense. Um, right. They have a big disparity between offense and defense. They're they're ranked third offensively, and 86th defensively. That's a massive gap. Anything more than like a couple dozen is a very large gap. Like Villanova's fifth offensively, 82nd defensively. Um, Loyola Chicago, they're my team. They're my dark horse team. All right, uh, right. You know, everybody's gonna, everyone's gonna be there, gonna have their dark horse team be Loyola Chicago because they remember Sister Jean and all that. But they're currently uh, first in defense, 52nd in offense, um, and their four losses are to 13th, 59th, 118th, and 47th, so no shame in those losses. And the only loss that was more than five was to the current number 13, so they're still good. I, I cited that stat, but I, I adjusted the numbers to account for another week of games. So the numbers are updated there with, like, what rank their, their losses were. But they're uh, – they're a good team. The thing that does concern me is that uh, their luck rating is 262. Now, I'm not sure if you want a high luck rating or a low luck rating, but to be, I would want to be right at about the middle because I would want as little luck as possible going into the tournament because I don't want the, the least amount of luck is better because that kind of eliminates some of that outside noise in terms of statistics, you know? Right. But I feel like also, some of these teams have good luck in the tournament, right? And that's what causes these upsets. So it's kind of like an interesting. Oh, for sure. I would, I would want to be a lucky team in the tournament. I'm saying for the regular season, I don't know how to interpret the luck stat, but it makes me nervous when I see a team is all the way at the top or all the way at the bottom, because that's indicative of a team that's either getting really lucky or really unlucky. And either way, I don't want, I either don't want a team that's relied on luck or a team that has had misfortune all season. Like, either way, I can spin that. Right, right, right. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I can agree with that, too. I mean, you kind of just want to be, I feel like, right dab in the middle. Like, exactly. You play I'll well. Average and... amount of lucky. <laughs> so, yeah. Until you get to the tournament, then you want to be the luckiest uh, team there. That's that's right. That's right. You want to be hold... You want to be cutting down that net at the end, at the end of that. Well, this is going to be interesting this year with the bubble, you know. Yep. Everyone the same place so is that it for uh for ken palm that's all i've got overall i'm i i've i've exhausted all of my research okay well i think i think now that we've covered all the the sports relevant sports this week um we're going to introduce a new little flare of information um which is this segment alert new segment alert yeah new segment alert new segment alert we're going to be doing uh today in sports history um some interesting just events and stats that happened um just to close with something a little lighter and nothing too too heavy um so i got a, i got a couple events that happened today february 22nd um that i that i found interesting and i think that you'll find interesting as well um so in 1893 it was the first iron bowl uh auburn beats alabama 32 22 nice. uh just something some interesting 
interesting things I found from the rivalry. Um, so they, they started in 1893 and they went to 1906 and there's a huge gap, right? So in that first stint, Auburn wins, goes seven, four and one. And then the rivalry resumed back in 1948. And then Alabama is 43 and 30 since. And then also just another thing, um, Alabama won the BCS national championship in 2009. And then Auburn wins in 2010, making it the first time that two different teams from the same state won consecutive national championships in the BCS uh, era. And then just another fact I just saw um, is that uh, as of 2020, the series is tied 18-18 since the retirement of coach uh, Bear Bryant, which is, hmm. I don't know, interesting. Interesting, because but... you think about Alabama being dominant, and they were only down a couple of years there. Um, oh, I did find it this day in sports history. So John Reed is considered to be the quote-unquote father of American golf. He first demonstrated golf on a Yonkers cow pasture to friends. So that is how golf got to America, according to this website. So fun Maybe. fact for you there about golf getting to America. We think about golf being hundreds of years old. Well, in uh, in America, it's only uh, five years older than the Iron Bowl. So right. fun fact for you. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he can come back from the grave and help me with my golf game. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with my golf or with your golf game. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come down to sunny Florida so we can play. I would love to. I've been to Florida and I got to play golf while I was there. It was great. It was just the grass was pristine. It was like October and everything was perfectly green. It was great. That sounds yeah, that's a perfect time to play. But uh yeah, and then one a couple a couple hockey uh events that happened. We haven't really touched on hockey yet. Um during our during our three episodes of this podcast, but uh, uh, in 1980, it was the miracle on ice. Uh, the U.S. hockey team beats the Soviet Union 4-3 uh, in one of the biggest upsets in Olympic history, and then the Americans go on to win the gold medal. Um, and there's there's a movie about it, um, which is like one of the first sports movies I my parents uh, let me watch when I was a kid, um, and I remember it was. I don't know. I've never, like, I never really got into hockey, but that was definitely, like, just a really, you know, very American patriotic thing. Right. And then just another one I'm talking about in 2018, then the, the women's uh, hockey team wins the gold medal for the first time in 20 years uh, in a 4-3 uh, shootout over Canada. Um, nice. So big day, big day for American hockey. Nice. Also, I found some other on this day in histories. Uh, that are not sports related um, in case you were curious about in 1935 all planes over the White House are barred because they are disturbing President Roosevelt's sleep so that's interesting uh, yeah so that's uh, that's what happened today in history do you have anything else to share? No I think I think we end on with with the Americans doing well to so yeah, and most people don't know beating, that that was not a gold medal game. Right, that that was the craziest thing, right? Is like it mm -hmm. was almost like a gold medal game. That's how that's how that's how important it was. Um, exactly, we were the. Like how, how embarrassing it would have been! How embarrassing would have been to like beat the Soviet Union but then lose in the final? It's like it reminds me of, uh, uh, and when UConn women's team lost to Mississippi State, I think. Uh huh. Yeah. One year, and then. Mississippi State lost in the finals to Yeah, you were cutting out there, but you were you did talk about, you know, Mississippi State upsetting UConn, which was a big upset, and then they went on to lose in the national championship of South Carolina. Just to Right, yeah. So always always tough to do something like that, but yep. thankfully the Americans pulled through. So but I think that is it for today. What have you been up to? Why, why don't you plug some stuff you've been doing, where we can find you on social media, your social yeah, security I, number, that type of stuff. That's, Go ahead. that's uh, right. That's the stuff that people are waiting for at the end of the episode. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, as always, uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Between the Numbs, capital BTN, and then my stats page, uh, FQ Stats. Yeah, that's FQ Stats. Um, that's how you spell it. And uh, yeah, no, uh, this week has been a lot of school for me 
but uh, look out on those accounts for some, uh, for some more content in the weeks to come. And uh, what about you, CJ? What do you got? What do you got going on? Well, you're probably going to want to backload some content to, to, to schedule to like to schedule to go up. I don't know if you have scheduled tweets active, but if you want to make sure that you schedule some tweets to go out during uh, the week following March Madness, because once once that game ends on Monday, when the national championship is played, then Tuesday morning, you're off of Twitter for a week. So, you know, you might want to be ready to schedule. Some uh, okay. As for okay. what I have going on, you can follow me on Twitter at CJ Olson 2000. I'm always, you know, tweeting about what's going on in my life. On that Twitter, I usually tweet about, uh, I like to tweet about like my teams that I root for, things that are a little bit more personal to me. Uh, in the bio, you can find the other Twitter accounts that, you know, I, I oversee. Um, the main one being at FQ underscore SMU. That's uh, a more SMU centric account. I recently added uh, a couple new coaches today, position coaches, a new corners coach and a new defensive line coach. I'm very excited about both of them. Um, you know, we lost some really good, some really solid coaches there, but hopefully, uh, hopefully what we've lost, we've picked up higher quality. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe not. You you got us projected you got us projected here in USF in last place so yes my, yeah so I have USF uh, finishing eleven. Another our, thing that I've another thing that I've worked on is I went ahead and I um I've made a way too early uh, prediction for all twelve or all eleven AAC teams. I went through each game. I picked a winner, a loser, and I gave each team percent chance to win. So that way I could calculate you know. On average, what did I expect their wins to be? Um, so it's not looking good for USF. Greg is un, un, upset about that as, as a USF student. Hey, hey, I can't wait. I can't wait for the team to prove you wrong. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I have SMU at seven and five, and it's just because we have such a difficult stretch just of six games. Like, those last six games are brutal. A lot of the 50-50 games, like, were either away or the team we're playing has an extra couple days to prep. Memphis has a whole week before they play us, so – uh, it's just the schedule really, they did us no favors other than the fact that we have a bye and then we have a Thursday game after the bye. So instead of getting two weeks between games, we get a week and a half, which then means a week after we get another week and a half. So we almost get like a mini bye in there. But other than that, they really screwed us over. And I think our mini bye is like against the team we don't need a mini bye for. That Like I think it's Navy, who historically we do have troubles with Navy's offense, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of our know. schedule. I have a seven and five. A lot of people on SMU related boards are like, it's 10 wins or bust. It's now or never. Like we are like, if you are going to be a powerhouse, you got to start playing like it. And it's like, guys, we're, we have a new quarterback. We have no idea if he's going to be any good. Like we don't know if either of them are going to be good. You know, like I'm, I'm really high on that, but who knows? So you can follow me there. Uh, I am optimistically tweeting and writing about it. Unknowns as a, as a future analyst, unknowns are, the bane of our existence, but also why we have jobs. Hopefully I'll have a job. So right. Right, right, right. parents are listening to this praying I get a job. So, <laughs> the, so the unknowns are why we do it, but they're also the reason why like we can't perfectly model things. There's no such thing as a correct model. So when we have this unknown, we have no idea what we're going to be. So that's why I'm pessimistic, but the people that you know don't uh, worry the un or don't fear the unknown are optimistic because we have a pair of four stars in our quarterback room, a group of five school, the pair of four stars, who would have thought? But also another thing that I have going on is I've been working on ranking all 130 FBS fight songs. Uh, you can find my That's tweet good. about that somewhere on my Twitter. Uh, I tweeted out the first installment. The second installment comes out Wednesday morning. So by the time you're hearing this, the second installment will already be out. Uh, fight songs 110 to 130. So if you want to see my 20 lowest ranked fight songs, you can see those. And then lastly, you can go to fifthquarter.net. I'm posting articles. I try to post one a week or one every other week outside of the fight song rankings. Um, I think I had a pretty good month last month, actually, in terms of in terms of fifth quarter. So shout out me. I think you did too. Look at us. Who would have thought? Yeah. I think I had views on like past articles because last month I only wrote one and uh I definitely, I'm definitely going to do more writing this week um, after my midterms. Nice. Yeah, no, I'm a little busy, so I don't, I don't know if I'm going to... My goal is as soon as the previous week's fight song uh, article goes up to start working on the next one, have it done that night. So that way I can have it in so I can schedule upload it like Friday. 
so it can be scheduled up for right, right, right. Yeah. Just so that way, you know, because that's how you build a fan base is by doing it, you know, like clockwork. So people know when to expect it. It's uh, fair. You want to keep people content. guessing. Consistent content is key. That's that's what I've learned for sure. Yep. So that's um I think we've I think we've done it, Greg. Do you want to give us an outro? Yeah. Thanks guys for listening to our now third episode of show us the data. Uh, as always, it's, uh, it's your co-hosts, Greg Harvey and CJ Olson, hoping you have a uh, good rest of your week and hope you enjoy the episode. Um, make oh sure yeah. To... Follow, follow our Twitter account at sports data pod. We always data forget pod. to plug this. Come on guys. If you don't do, if you do anything like that's like the only thing you need to do, just follow sports data pod on Twitter. Um, as we always forget that one. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. We did it. Here's my thing with you guys that are anti-analytics. You sound dumb.